0: You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. Good morning, everybody. It is good to see you this morning, and uh, as you can see, we've begun a new series that we pitched at you guys last week. It's called Picture Perfect, and so uh, I want you to open your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is going to be our primary text this week and for the next three weeks after that, and um, I just want to give you a little bit of background for, for why we're doing what we're doing. Uh, if you haven't noticed, uh, we live in a time where technology allows us to pretty much set forth any persona we want to have. Uh, It's not only technology, though. We do it in our friendships. We do it in our workplace. uh, We do it anywhere we are. In fact, it bleeds into the church. You know, before COVID hit us hard all across the land, uh, we were still having our kids in our service. And uh, many parents would be a little fearful of the Sundays in which we had our family Sundays because they were afraid everybody would see the veneer come off you know, and we'd have kids being loud or running around or screaming, and most of them don't know that I live in that world, and so it doesn't bother me at all, I don't even notice it, Uh, but everybody's really self-conscious in that moment, right, and so I know we are as a family as well, Um, you know, it happens all the time, and uh, it's just one of those things that you have to learn to kind of process, but here's the deal, right, we don't want people to see that side of us, we don't want people to see the stuff that's not perfect, and we live our lives in such a way amongst our friends, amongst our family, on social media or in person at work, where we are trying to put this veneer on before we leave home that we've got everything together, that everything is good, and everything is perfect. In fact, it's picture perfect. And we kind of back that up with what we throw on Instagram or on TikTok, if you're still doing that, or on Facebook, for only those us people over 30 that do Facebook. Uh, so it's just one of those things that we do. That we, we, we try to show ourselves as having it all together. And it's been that way since the beginning. That's why Adam and Eve were trying to cover themselves up even in the garden. I mean, it's a part of the same problem. It's a sin problem. We don't want people to see our weaknesses. We don't want people to exploit those things. The world says you've got to be strong. So we project a baseless show of strength. I call it baseless because ultimately it is. We do that in order to be admired or respected. The world says you've got to be smarter and wiser, and so you try to do that more than anybody you're around. We do that by throwing some memes up somewhere. We do that by by how we have to speak into a conversation. We have to one-up each other, and we have to have the last word. Um, With all the wisdom in the world, though, we cannot defeat death and decay. We know this when we are faced with it. We hide in our holes. We put on the fake masks of strength and wisdom. But on the inside, we know that we're weak. We know that. Our weakness surrounds us and stares at us in the horrors of tragedy, calamity, pandemics. And we know that we are one bad choice or one wrong move or one bad virus away from death and that we really don't have any power over that. There's nowhere in no time that that's more obvious than when we're at death's door, or when someone we love is at death's door. Death, called the great equalizer of all humanity, proves that we are weak and not wise enough to overcome all things. And still, the world scoffs, at the wisdom of God as presented in his word, especially mocking Jesus, mocking the gospel, his sacrifice on the cross in our place. And even we, the church, even we, though we say we believe and though we might actually believe that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, we still spend much of our time attempting to hide our weaknesses, attempting to project a false strength to the world around us so that we'll be accepted by those who we hope will never see the truth about us. That we're really weak, frail, struggling, wrought with anxiety, fears, and I could go on and on and on. But I'm here to tell you this morning that God has provided a better way. He is good. He is gracious. He is kind. And you don't need that veneer anymore Because if you are in Christ, you've been clothed in the goodness and righteousness and the the beauty and the majesty of Jesus. He has a better way. We're going to see it in First Corinthians 1, starting in verse 17. You may ask why there, because 17 is kind of a transition statement. It leads us into the rest of what we're going to look at. It's a big chunk of text today, so get ready to read through some things pretty quickly. And I'm not going to dissect the text a whole lot, because I'm just going to speak the overarching themes in the text as we go. We're going to start in verse 17 and go through 25 as our first step, but let me just say this in the front, that to give you kind of the thesis for today that you're going to hear over and over and over again is that... According to the gospel, that we see the good news presented in scripture, weakness is the way for us. Weakness is the way. Not something we should hide. It's actually the way. It's the way of the gospel. Look at verse 17 through 25. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. He's talking about that because right before that he's addressing an issue where some are saying they follow one guy, some say they got baptized by another guy. He says, this is all junk. I didn't come here to to, to baptize. He's not diminishing baptism, obviously. He's just saying, that's not the point. I came here to preach the gospel. That's an evidence of the gospel taking root. I, I came here... Not to baptize sent by Christ, but to preach the gospel. And listen, not with words of eloquent wisdom, which of the day everybody was trying to follow the right rhetoricians, all the guys that could speak real well. They wanted to say who they followed, and like this wise guy over this wise person. He says, I didn't I didn't speak the gospel with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. He says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, that means everybody. Greeks were anybody that wasn't a Jew from a Jew perspective. Christ... The power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. You see, Paul here is trying to articulate something by the leading and inspiration of the Holy Spirit to tell us that weakness is the way of the gospel. It's time that we stop projecting a false bravado. It's time for us to stop acting as though we have it all together, as if we have no faults or weaknesses. I stand before you today, brothers and sisters, as a weak man with countless faults, with countless struggles. Just as Justin spoke out of testimony from the Holy Spirit this morning as he led us in worship, I too am One who has failed over and over and over and over again because I am a sinner who has been saved by grace but still wrestles with the sinner within. And I fail continuously and I am weak like all of us truly are weak. And it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay there. We have to run to Jesus in our weakness. Not to hide our weakness but to find our strength in Him, to find wisdom in Him, to find redemption and sanctification in Him, not in our own right, not in our own self. It's time to stop acting as if we have saved ourselves or that we can pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and muster up enough wisdom and power to overcome the adversities and the struggles of our lives. That's the worldly wisdom that God is denouncing here through Paul. If we were powerful, we wouldn't need Jesus. If we were all wise, we wouldn't need Jesus. But we do need Jesus. Every moment of every day, every second, we need Jesus. Every moment, we still need Jesus. Whether you recognize it or admit it or not, God alone is the one who sustains every moment of our lives. He's the only one to enable you to have successes. He's the only one who walks with you in your failures. He's the only one who brings us salvation through the gospel of Jesus. And he, if you are his, he never leaves you alone. Weakness is the way of the gospel. When to stop acting like we have it all together. That's the way of the world that says, I don't need a savior. So if we put on the veneer, acting like we're like that, then we're no different than anyone else. Instead, we should be like Peter, even, who stood up amongst people in Acts 2, after Pentecost, and he spoke, and all the disciples thereafter that were out speaking the gospel, and they would look at them and say, who are these Galileans, these these uneducated fishermen who are speaking these, these things? They must have been with Jesus. It wasn't because they were strong. It was because they saw them as weak, And yet they were saying things that had seemingly great power. Weakness is the way of the gospel, brothers and sisters. And weakness is our way to truth. It's our way to truth. Look at verse 26 through 31. For consider your calling, brothers. Now Paul, speaking to the church at Corinth by the leading of the Holy Spirit... The Spirit is now speaking to us in the same way. This is a general statement to them. It applies to us as well. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. He's talking about shaming them. They think they're wise. They think they're strong. They think they're something. But really, apart from Christ, we are nothing. Apart from Christ, we are fools. Apart from Christ, we are weak. Completely. And God will shame them in the present when they don't believe and they're seen as being mockers, and especially when Jesus returns and brings judgment, the ultimate, eternal condemnation and shame. Verse 28, and God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I'm going to remind us here. God didn't save us because of how wise we are. God didn't save us because of how powerful we are. God didn't save us because of who our mommies and daddies were, or are. And not because of how often we went to church, not because of how committed we were to Sunday school, or because of how much we read the Bible. God saved us because we aren't wise enough to live perfectly the way we're created to live. The way that's supposed to reflect his glory, Perfectly in every choice in every relationship in every action in every inaction God saved us because we are not powerful enough to overcome sin We know that right you've stopped sinning for a time and you may have stopped certain sins that you were going towards But you still struggle with sins and you still fail and you tried and you tried harder and harder and harder And you still can't overcome all the sin in your life. You cannot overcome all those things We continually fail That's the definition of failures. That's the definition of weakness. But God adopted us into his royal family, not because of the worthy blood in us, but because we've been purchased out of our sin by the worthy blood of Jesus. Admitting our weaknesses is the way to awakening to the truth of this life that none of us deserve salvation, but all of us have been afforded salvation by the precious gift of Jesus. The gift of Jesus, who gave his life for ours. The all-powerful Son of God became one of us, even became weak, even to the point of death on the cross, so that we, the truly weak ones, could be saved from our sin. If only we will repent and believe in Jesus. Weakness is the way to this truth. Weakness is the way, our way to the truth. Weakness is our way to Jesus. You must recognize this before you can come to Jesus. You must recognize a need for a Savior before you can come to him. It's the beginning step and it never ends. As I was studying this text and things started to really pull out as just, you let the words, like we've been learning the last four weeks, let the words speak out to us. It's exegesis, let God speak to us from his words, reading the grammar, seeing what's mentioned, the repetitions, the amount of space given to a subject, the type of verbs that we see in here, things we've been studying for the last four weeks. And we look at this passage and we see that there is one Primary imperative verb, one commanding verb that drives the entire section of scripture here, and is found in verse thirty one. Look at it with me when he says this. So that all these reasons he gave before we're about to cover so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Right? Not in anything other than in the Lord. And that's a command. Boast in the Lord. It's the only command in all of this text. So I was studying and looking at how this thing started coming to the surface about the background for this right before it. And you know what? I was a little nervous about it because it really impinges upon our kind of ideals of the Western culture. And so I went back and made sure that I wasn't stepping into ground that was unchartered. I went back and looked from the early church fathers all the way up to current conservative evangelical commentaries, preachers, and they all iterate the same thing in different words That I'm about to iterate to you, and it is hard to swallow. It's a kick in the face, honestly. See, weakness is our way of glorifying God. Weakness is our way of glorifying God. You and I didn't choose God in our wisdom. We're weak. We're fools. You and I didn't choose God in our being all powerful. We didn't just wake up one day as rebels and sinners and as dead men walking and say, you know what? I'm gonna overcome all this sin today. I'm gonna follow that Jesus guy. The Bible says we're dead in our trespasses. If our being saved was based off our wisdom and our power to choose God over our sin alone, without the Holy Spirit working in us, then we would get the glory for our salvation. Now, you may say, where am I getting that from? Look back at the text of me in verse 26 and on. But let me say it like this. Let me say it a different way for us. This is how we might say it internally, but not say it out loud. Look, look how great I chose, right? I chose God. If you people would just get your act together and choose God, you would be in a better place right now. See how I was able to overcome these things because I, I went after the Lord? You need to do the same thing. We look at people in a condescending ways and they just need to do this thing. We don't necessarily say it that way out loud. It comes out in our hearts often. But I think the scriptures point out that cursed is the man who believes salvation begins in his own heart. The scriptures say it clearly. Salvation is of the Lord. Look at this text. Let it speak for itself. The word of God tells us this order of salvation here. Verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Basically saying, hey, you, you, you didn't get this because you're great, because you're powerful, because you're so smart, because you're of nobility and you have valuable blood in you? Verse 27, emphasizing these first words are repeated three times, like a trihagion statement, like this statement of God, making sure we get the point, right? This repetitive statement. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Here's the reason why. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God chose us the lowest ones so that nobody could boast in his presence. God chose us the not wisest ones so that nobody could boast in his presence. is saying, oh, I did that. He goes on. He says, and because of him, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus. Because of who? Because of who? Because of God. Because of Him, because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus. Because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that, as it is written, so that, that means, in other words, here's the reason why, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So yes, boast of His greatness, Boast of his wisdom. Boast of his power. Boast of his goodness. His redemption. His sanctification. This is huge. This order of salvation is infinitely important because this ensures that God is the one who gets all the glory. Our admitting our weaknesses in such a way ensures that God is glorified as he deserves. You realize that everywhere through scripture, everything we see in the Old Testament and the New Testament, everything's pointing to God getting glory for his name, right? You remember all the stories, and God got glory for his name. God got glory over Pharaoh, and his name was glorified, and his name will be glorified. So all the time, it's all, that's the primary and ultimate purpose, that God would get glory for all things. So God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is foolish to, to shame the wise. God chose the things that are not to shame the things that bring to nothing the things that are, so that the one who boasts would boast in him, that no human have anything to boast in, but they boast in him. He is the author and finisher of our faith. Yes, we have responsibility for our sin. Yes, we must repent and believe in Jesus. Yes, all these things are true, but all of our salvation is by him and for his glory. Apart from him, none of it is possible. Apart from him working in us, nothing is possible. We grew up hearing this kind of language talked about. We have heard it over and over again. It's all replete throughout scripture. But somehow, we get off of it and we begin to think at some level, even subconsciously, that we have kind of got it there. Like, God brought me to salvation and now I've got this. It's all good now. Look how much better I'm doing. Me, me, me. See how much better I'm doing? He did all this. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, our sanctification. That's the getting better part. Our sanctification. He is our sanctification and redemption. So that, the reason, as it's written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Not in me, in the Lord. God chooses... Us it says here god effectively calls us to salvation through the preaching of the gospel of jesus God gives us ears to hear the good news. God replaces our spiritually dead hearts with Hearts of flesh from stone to flesh old testament new all throughout God gives us the faith to believe in romans It says that our faith is a gift from god And that we have the amount of faith we have based off the giving of that faith to us from god God empowers us by his Holy Spirit to repent of our sin and believe in Jesus. But he is the author and finisher of our faith. Do we work with him in our sanctification? Yes. Do we have to repent and believe in him? Yes. But it only occurs because he is the author and finisher of our faith. Anything less takes glory away from the Lord. Our weakness is our way of glorifying God. It was a big switch in my life to see that truth. These particular verses, in fact. You know, two years ago, this weekend was my first weekend preaching as your pastor, as your lead pastor. A couple of weeks before that, I preached in view of a call, and I preached out of the same text. If you remember, 1 Corinthians 2 2. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified because we have nothing else. Anything else is a veneer that is not real. It is a mirage. If we think in and of ourselves, we accomplish these things apart from the Holy Spirit, apart from the grace of the Lord, apart from the work of Jesus on the cross. So let us boast not of our wisdom or strength to our friends or family or on Facebook or on Instagram, but let us boast in the Lord. Let us not use any opportunity to present ourselves as having it all together, but let us boast in the Lord. This is our calling. This is our joy. This this is what we are meant to do. When people see our weakness, they see the greatness of God when they hear Jesus come off our lips. Our weakness is our way of glorifying God, and he alone deserves all the glory. So that no human could boast in the presence of God, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Weakness is our way of glorifying God. Yet we try to hide it and keep it hidden. Instead, I would say we should let it out. You know, when you walk into a meeting and somebody asks you how you're doing and you say, fine, that's okay. It's a normal response. It's Americanism, right? But then when a friend asks you, how are you really doing? Tell them how you're really doing and then ask them to pray for you. Or tell them how you're really doing, and tell them about how Jesus is still carrying you through, even though you don't feel him sometimes. When you're struggling, talk about the struggle. Point to your need. Your need for a savior, even now. That's when God's glorified. Not when we go, Now I'm good, everything's great. Now I'm doing great, and it's, hard, but it's good, and I'm good. Now point to Jesus. They don't, listen, if we think people are gonna look at us In the veneer we put on, and they're gonna see Jesus in us, we are sadly mistaken. What they will see is our hubris. What they will see is, is our makeup. What they will see is, is our Clothing what they will see is our ability to do good compared to other people's ability to do good What they will see is our failures anyway What they will see is they around us long enough is our weaknesses anyway So if we confess those things out to them then now we are saying yes, i'm a failure. Yes, I struggle Yes, i'm not perfect, but I have a savior who's perfect and he was perfect for me even in his death on the cross Now he gets the glory Let us not boast in self even implicitly, but let us boast in the lord Weakness is the way. Weakness is also the way of seeking the lost. Look at chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. Paul says, And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul, the guy that we deem as one of the greatest apostles, the guy that wrote over half of the New Testament, the guy who's led by the Holy Spirit to be the guy who would would pin half of the, the New Testament that we know about Jesus from. This guy says these things. Look, it tells us you don't need powerful techniques of persuasion to reach lost people with the gospel. You don't need to know the ins and outs of the Bible to win people to Jesus. You need to learn that because that helps you to know who God is, but you don't have to know all things to be able to lead people to Jesus. You just need to know Jesus Christ and him crucified. Really, personally, relationally, continually, spending time with him. I'm fearful that many people that call themselves Christians, even that darken the doors of church facilities on a weekly basis, or flip on and watch online services regularly, say they know Jesus, think they know Jesus, but do not have a relationship with Jesus. Let us be like Paul and decide today and every day to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified in every situation. Obviously, he doesn't mean know nothing, because he knows how to make tents. That's how he makes his living. He also knows how to deal with conflict in the church. He knows how to help people relationally. He knows how to deal with, with all kinds of stuff. What he's saying though is that the base of all of it is Jesus Christ and him crucified. I do all that I do so I can promote Jesus Christ and him crucified. Among every one of my friends, every one of my family, every one of my coworkers, what if we looked like that? What if we decided to do that every day? Here's a statement that will shake us, it's shaken me. To know of Jesus is to speak of Jesus. For if you do not speak of him, then it is very likely you do not really know him. I'm going to say that again, let it sink into our hearts. And I will back this with scripture, not just my words. To know of Jesus is to speak of Jesus. For if you do not speak of him, then it is very likely you do not really know him. Jesus says, recorded in Mark chapter 8, verse 38, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now, you may say, well, that's not talking about talking. It is. Here's how we know. When he says, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, meaning I am, do not want to be recognized as one who's associated with Jesus or the gospel. Okay, and he knows outwardly because he says this, whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. In other words, if you're shameful of me, if you are not associating yourself with me before the public, but before the people you're in a generation with, Of you then, of him, will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. What happens when Jesus comes? He comes in judgment and he stands in judgment and he will look upon those who are his and he will say, Father, I died for that one. I received the condemnation already. He's forgiven. I gave my life for that one, Father. For her. For that little one, for that young one, for that older one. But he says, if you are ashamed of me, then I'll be ashamed of you. Same idea of shame used earlier in this where he uses the weak things of the world to shame the strong, uses the, the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. The things that are not to bring down to nothing the things that are. You don't need eloquent words of wisdom. We just need to speak of our weaknesses that are being overcome by the power of the gospel. This is the way of making much of Jesus. Not living a picture-perfect life, not putting on the veneer. I'm not saying you gotta not put on makeup or put on clothes. Please put on clothes. I'm saying don't put on the veneer like we have it all together. That does not make much of Jesus. Let people see us mumbling At lunch because we cannot make it through the day without asking the Lord for grace. That our families see us start the day on our knees before the Lord. That they might be driven to the cross. That our friends know that we are praying for them because they hear us pray for them. Not just say we're going to pray for them. Let us show our faults so that we can point to the greatness of Jesus. So that he is boasted in, and not us. Second Corinthians 12, Paul says this. He says, I had this thorn. God, I asked him to take it out. He said, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So his response Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, he says, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, it's in our weaknesses. Weakness is the way. Not supposed strength. Not pseudo-wisdom. To proclaim the gospel... By the way, from a position of superiority, like looking down on others, like, you just need Jesus, you need to repent and believe, stop doing all that junk, just stop. That, to to proclaim the gospel from a position of superiority like that is to empty the cross of its power. To act as if they could pull themselves up. Instead, we should see our face in the face of those who need Jesus. And say, yet, but I, apart from the grace of Jesus so that we're reminded to pray for them continually, reminded to go to them and give them the good news, because who might else do that? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. You don't need to be powerful in your delivery of the good news about Jesus. You need to be filled with the powerful Holy Spirit of God. God loves to use weak people. God loves to use foolish people, so foolish that they think God can do anything. So foolish that they think, I can't do anything to make this happen, but God, you can, so I'm going to go and speak the truth. God loves to do that all throughout Scripture. You and I can't save anybody, but God can save everybody. But He chooses to use us to do that. Isaiah 61, 1 Jesus actually quotes this talking himself and it applies to us as well. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prisons to those who are bound. You say, well, that's Jesus is saying those words in the New Testament. Yes. And we're being fashioned into the shape and person and look alike of Jesus. And we are to seek and to save the lost as well. This is our mantra as well. We are not powerful or wise or perfect, but God is all-powerful. He is all-wise, all-knowing, and He is perfectly able to save anyone He chooses to save. And He has chosen to use us to bring salvation to the lost. What a glorious God we serve, brothers and sisters. He would use weak people like us to bring eternal salvation to souls who were damned without Him. What a glorious God we serve that He would, by His power, through the work of His self-sacrificed Son, by the by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, that He would use us to bring people to faith by giving them Jesus through our weakness and by His strength. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before Him. Heaven and earth adore Him. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Our weakness is God's way of seeking and saving the lost, brothers and sisters. Let us not rob him of his glory or rob souls of their salvation. Weakness is the way to salvation. Listen, in a crowd this size, there are people here today that think they know Jesus but do not, or who do not know Jesus and they know it. And I'm telling you today, do not hold your head high Pretending you are this all-powerful one, that you have it all right. Do not let your pride lead you down the path of utter, certain, imminent destruction. Bow your head before the King of kings and Lord of lords who gave his life for you and repent of your sin and believe on Jesus. If God is leading you to do that, you will have the power to do so because his Holy Spirit will enable you to do that. Trust in the Lord. He's the only Savior. You cannot save yourself. Weakness is the way to salvation. Do not kid yourself with false hubris and worldly wisdom. Do not... Do not do that. Humble yourself before the Son of God. And like he says in his word, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above all names, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of the Father. There it is. To the glory of the Father. To boast in the Lord. Today is surely the day of salvation for all who believe in Jesus this morning. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, For he, Jesus, was crucified in weakness but lives by the power of God. For all, we also are weak in him. But in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Be sure that today, salvation is offered to the weak and the lowly. In the name of Jesus. Tomorrow might be the day of reckoning for all who do not repent and believe, who who refuse to come to the Savior. Today the Savior reaches out to you with an open hand, that was pierced for his transgressions. For our transgressions, I mean. It was pierced for our transgressions. And he's willing to wash away your sins and give you eternal life. The life that he paid for. He paid it all. Remember that he paid for it. His blood on the cross of Calvary. You only need repent of your sins and believe on him. For tomorrow he comes with the sword of judgment. Do not let your unfounded pride lead you to the grave eternally. Let us recognize our weaknesses and admit our need for the Savior so that today we might be saved from our sins. For today is a day of salvation for all who believe in Jesus. And if you've known him and he is yours, today is a day of salvation continually, not because we're being saved again, but because we are in the process of continually being saved. We have been saved, we are being saved, and when he comes back, we will be saved. All through that, those who persevere to the end will be saved, the scripture says, what Jesus says. Today's the day is a day for all who repent and believe on Jesus, for his sacrifice, our Redeemer, our Savior. Weakness, not our power. Weakness, not our strength. Our weakness is the way of the gospel. Weakness is the way to Jesus. We need Jesus, brothers and sisters. Father, I need Jesus. I hope that today you would give us the grace and mercy that we need. I beg you, if there's anybody here, Lord, I pray that you work in their heart. You'd beckon them to come to you by your Holy Spirit, that you would take them from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, that you'd turn them alive, that you'd give them faith to believe in you, that they would repent of their sin and trust in you, Lord. Empower them by your Holy Spirit to do so. Lord, we know that you are a saving God. That You are a God who looked out upon us in our rebellion and you gave us life by giving us Jesus. That when we were your enemies, you reached out your hand and delivered your son over to death for us that we might be adopted into your family. Lord, you alone deserve the glory. Lord, yet we steal that glory day in and day out by not recognizing it, by not making much of you, by making much of self, by putting forth a false veneer of picture perfection in our families, in our, in our own lives, at work, at home, at play. Lord, help us today to repent of that sin. And that in our weakness, as we see our need for you, that you would drive us to trusting in you. Every moment we would see our need, that you sustain every breath, that apart from you we would fall on our face, that apart from your grasp on all of reality, our atoms would come apart at the seams. Lord, we are in your grasp. We are in your care. You sustain us and you delivered us from our sins. Lord, help us now to give you glory for it. And help us, Lord, fill us with joy that we might speak of your goodness, that others might come to know you, that you might use us in your work. You don't need us, but you choose to use us because you've chosen to love us so that we might love you. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus. Thank you for making the way so we could be with you. Through the precious gift of your son, Jesus. It's in his name we ask and pray all these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helped you to be more like Jesus as 12th Street seeks to be a place where we can find forgiveness for the past and hope for the future.